You've put in at least 13 hours at the hospital that day. You go home and find yourself angry at your wife, irritated with the kids, and you just realize you hate your partner. Does it have anything to do with the 22-year-old overdose that you failed to resuscitate, or are you Superman? You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, your host, and with me today is Dr. Alex Rosano, Vice Chair, Department of Emergency Medicine at Lehigh Valley Hospital and Health Network in Pennsylvania. Dr. Rosenau planned and wrote the application for his hospital's emergency medicine program, and he was the program director there till 2007. He also sits on the board of directors of the American College of Emergency Physicians, ASAP. Today we're discussing when the healer needs healing and the impact of our traumatic cases on ourselves. Welcome, Dr. Rosenau. Thank you, Dr. Johnson. Glad to be with you. So if you work enough shifts, we usually think that we've seen everything. When does a case get inside our armor and hit home? Well, you know, Dr. Johnson, as we work, we're constantly exposed to a dose of low to moderate level stress. And once in a while, some higher stress when a number of ambulances come in at one time or a particular case. But there are those cases that really get under your skin that cause very strong emotional reactions. And those are the cases that tend to interfere with our everyday behavior. These are uh, basically events that are difficult, and we have normal but very uncomfortable stress reactions because the events are so extraordinary. I'm thinking especially of the, for instance, many emergency physicians are affected when they have to treat a child that's been severely injured. So what's the risk? Can some physicians just cope, or would we all be better off for talking through some stuff after a particularly brutal case? I would say that it is better at some point to have a trusted person in which to share some of your feelings if they persist. We're all socialized as physicians to focus on problems and presentations for the benefit of the patients, but emergency physicians, RNs, the medics out in the field, especially the medics, see very raw, unfiltered trauma. It could be a person with a traumatic amputation, an impalement, a particular bloody situation, an industrial accident that involves evisceration. These are things that are beyond the everyday and start to border on what people see in a wartime situation. And then there are other situations and other types of cases that are unusual or that we particularly empathize or sympathize with. I can remember as a young physician especially being very affected when a four- or five-year-old would come in, possibly a drowning victim, or you would hear about a bad accident with a number of children, and you'd find yourself calling home to ask your wife, is everything okay back home? Are the children all you know, tucked in and being sure that that accident case is not one of your own children? Because your heart goes out when you so quickly emotionally sympathize. Yeah, what about the risk of keeping it all inside? Doesn't that greatly contribute to our burnout? Yes, I think it is a very normal type of reaction for people to sometimes have high emotions that affect their behavior or their thinking at the moment, although we do try to, in our training, to minimize that. However, these stress symptoms are very counterproductive when they go on for many days, and we find ourselves thinking very often and going back to these intrusive thoughts of the situation that caused us to have that very strong emotional response. And in fact, if that persists beyond the month, In time, we start to think in terms of, is there a post-traumatic stress syndrome starting up? And everybody reacts somewhat differently. And as I said, we tend to be chosen 
through the system of becoming physicians and nurses and medics and then trained and socialized in a certain way. But with today's gang warfare, high acceleration, high impact, motor vehicle accidents, and other types of trauma, and then again when certain things that really resonate with us, like a child who is injured, those types of situations cause very strong emotions and reactions that we have to be on the alert. You know, you mentioned post-traumatic stress syndrome. We think of that, of course, with our veterans. Are there documented instances of it occurring to hospital staff or fire rescue workers? Is it ever, or have you heard of it being a claim for disability? I don't know about a claim for disability, but if we think back to baby Jessica, who fell down a well and was caught for a number of days and eventually rescued by a paramedic who became a national hero, and remember what happened to that person later on in life, We know that these types of events can have very strong effects on our thinking, our feelings later on in the week or in the month or in our lives, and can have actual physical effects and cause us to have behavioral actions that may be unusual. What did happen to that person who rescued baby Jessica? If I remember correctly, that was a person who then later went on in life to have many problems which then resulted ultimately in that person's passing. I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't have the exact articles in front of me, but that is my memory. I can think of one of my nurses who also functioned as a paramedic and was called to an industrial accident where a person's sleeve or hand was caught in a roller and then that person was pulled through the machine. And when she arrived with the other medics to the scene, they found the person who had been pulled through machinery laying on the floor, obviously crushed, And because they had saw that raw, unfiltered event, this caused problems for many days and a couple of weeks uh, with this nurse and required us to have what we call a critical incident stress management program instituted. The last case that was in the news was the pet monkey who tore the woman's face off, and that's a case that people will remember. And they offered and they used psychological assistance there. Have you heard anything about that staff being receptive? The way it's put in the newspaper is it was offered, but sometimes physicians and nurses are very resistant to any type of confrontation or intervention actions. Well, these types of remediation frequently are done on a very private basis sometimes through some sort of employee assistance program, but more often a team may decide to informally meet together or they can have a guided program called the Critical Incident Stress Management Program. And that is a situation that does not review. It's not like peer review. We're not looking at a situation to decide if the medical actions were proper, if the right drug was given, the right procedure, but rather for people to express their feelings because a number of people working on a team have different perspectives, and their perspectives can be very different, and there can also be some guilt if the patient doesn't survive or if somebody feels that they could have acted a little bit faster, stronger, more decisively, or even if everything went well. Now, think about that team up in Stanford. I don't have personal knowledge except from reading in the newspaper that they were presented with a patient that had very unusual, severe injuries to their hands and their face, maybe even more severe than was initially reported, And they were presented with this during an ordinary day where they are used to, as an emergency team, being presented, like I said, with fairly what the general society would think of as a high level of stress, but to an emergency team, a low to moderate level of stress. And then all of a sudden, they are presented with the case of a lifetime, trying to save the life of a person who was brutally attacked by a chimpanzee, totally unexpected, and with a vision right in front of their eyes, 
of something they probably had never seen before. And they reacted with great aplomb, were able to protect the patient's airway, save her life, and eventually care for her and transfer her to another facility. And this must have been a most stressful time and something where they had to really subjugate their own feelings and sublimate their own feelings and take care of the patient as they were trained. And I'm sure they proceeded through the ABCs of emergency care and then the particular situation that was presented to them and the clinical work that needed to be done. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson, and I'm speaking with Dr. Alex Rosenau from Lehigh Valley Hospital in Pennsylvania, who is on the board of directors for ACP and very much involved in the work of emergency room physicians across the country. I know rape cases were particularly difficult for me as a woman. I could be tough when I was with the patient because I had to be, but I remember as I left the room, I would feel the emotion. And what did we do? We grabbed another chart and saw the next patient. There wasn't never allowed any time for our feelings. Isn't this typical what ER physicians do? Yes, that's very typical. And, and in the case of patients who are brutalized in an, a sexual assault, we do have a sexual assault nurse examiner team or SANE team. Some call them safe nurses. And they work together with the nurses in order to assure that the patient has quick treatment a proper gathering of forensic evidence, and also as emotionally supportive treatment as possible. We're well prepared for most of those cases, but again, that is a situation where not every rape involves the same amount of assault or injury, and some are just unusual and terrible, and this is a situation where at times a team may need to talk this out among themselves so that they understand where their feelings are coming from, and that the feelings that the treating team has is, though uncomfortable, is normal. And these stress reactions are sometimes confused by the people experiencing them because it's sometimes like any fight or flight type of reaction. It's unexpected. And you're suddenly hit by difficulty with attention span, intrusive thoughts, maybe some grief or depression that you're feeling or feeling overwhelmed. And if this goes on, uh, somebody who's having a stress reaction like that due to one of the cases that we've just discussed, it can cause a person to have an immediate reaction. We sometimes see that in the lay public when they see an accident, such as a, a hyperventilation, anxiety, chest pain. And sometimes people go on to have behavioral changes where they withdraw, for instance. You might be interested that just the other day in our town, there was a severe car accident and a mother and a child were ejected from the car and the child was laying in the street, and a number of people ran over to help. But the newspaper reported that one gentleman ran over, got as close as he could, and then when he saw that there was a child laying in the street, he had to turn away because it reminded him so strongly of his memories as a soldier in Vietnam in the late 60s, early 70s. So there was something where a person reactivated some thoughts in a post-traumatic stress type of situation when they were presented was something that just reactivated those bad memories. And I think our medical training is part of that. You know, we learn to override nature. We think we don't have to sleep. We don't have to eat. We think we can outsmart depression, alcoholism, outsmart our schedule. And after a certain point, we really can't. I mean, do you agree with that? While we have a greater capacity than the untrained person to deal with that stress, there is no doubt, either cumulatively in low doses or suddenly in unusual cases, our defense systems are overwhelmed. 
And that's why we like to get people involved in defusing some of these situations in debriefing in a confidential manner where thoughts and feelings can be examined and talked about in a safe manner that has nothing to do with a judgmental situation. And then from there, some of the docs and nurses will actually need to have an individual one-on-one contact with some psychological counseling in certain situations or follow-up just to make sure that they're able to function in their usual manner. And we really emphasize that these are normal people, normal professionals experiencing common reactions to very abnormal events. So tell us about some of the successes that your institution has had. Because in my experience, and I was at a large county hospital, um, when these type of things were offered, some of the nurses might accept maybe some of the aides, but the doctors just basically wanted no part of it. So how do you heal the healer? How have you been managing this in your facility? In our particular facility, we're a magnet hospital with a very strong department of nursing, and we really believe in collaboration and teamwork. And emergency medicine more than most specialties, really is a team sport. And we work side-by-side with the nurses. So if we call the critical incident stress management program or debriefing to occur, we would not only want to do it for ourselves as physicians, but to be helpful to our nurses, our team members. I'm thinking back to a situation where we had a young female who was admitted, was diagnosed in the emergency room with a cardiomyopathy, which was probably post-viral, and was admitted to the hospital, and then unfortunately passed away about 18 to 24 hours after admission. We decided together, the emergency room nurses, the two or three physicians involved in the care of this patient, the pediatrician at the time of death, and the pediatric nurses in the unit at the time of the attempted resuscitation all got together, and we found that it really helped to diffuse some of the confusion, some of the anger, prevented any finger pointing. And you know, physicians tend to point the finger at themselves more than anyone else because we hold ourselves to such a high standard. And that's where it really becomes important to share some of these incidents and the thoughts and the stress that we're having so that we can avoid some of these symptoms that will occur later on that affect our thinking and our actions later on. We don't want these types of stressful behaviors and poor thinking to then affect us when we treat other patients later that week, that month, that year. Thank you for being our guest today. Thanks, Dr. Johnson. It's been wonderful being with you today, and I look forward to speaking with you again in the future. We've been talking to Dr. Alex Rosenau. He's been our guest. We've been discussing healing the healer, the effect of the traumatic patient on the physician himself. I'm Dr. Shira Johnson. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable from ReachMDXM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on the air. Thank you for listening.